Hey nerds, my name is Will Wheaton and you are hearing me talk. It is Monday, September 7th, 2020 in America. It is Labor Day and it has been quite some time since I gave you a new chapter of The Invisible Man. When I started this project, the idea was to release it every few days and have the entire thing out in just a couple of weeks, but I've actually gotten busy and I haven't had the time and the creative uh, spoons to make uh, more um, and uh, today that changed. So I am very happy to bring to you, finally, after a very long wait, Chapter 10 of The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells. Enjoy! Chapter 10, Mr. Marvel's Visit to Iping. After the first gusty panic had spent itself, Iping became argumentatives. Skepticism suddenly reared its head. Rather nervous skepticism, not at all assured of its back, but skepticism nevertheless. It is so much easier not to believe in an invisible man, and those who had actually seen him dissolve into air, or felt the strength of his arm, could be counted on the fingers of two hands. And of these witnesses, Mr. Rogers was presently missing, having retired impregnably behind the bolts and bars of his own house, and Jaffers was lying stunned in the parlor of the coach and horses. Great and strange ideas transcending experience often have less effect upon men and women than smaller, more tangible considerations. Iping was gay with bunting and everybody was in gala dress. Whit Monday had been looked forward to for a month or more. By the afternoon, even those who believed in the unseen were beginning to resume their little amusements in a tentative fashion, on the supposition that he had gone quite away, and with the skeptics, he was already a jest. But people, skeptics and believers alike, were remarkably sociable all that day. Hazeman's Meadow was gay with a tent in which Mrs. Bunting and other ladies were preparing tea, while without, the Sunday school children ran races and played games under the noisy guidance of the curate and the Mrs. Cuss and Sackbut. No doubt there was a slight uneasiness in the air. But people, for the most part, had the sense to conceal whatever imaginative qualms they experienced— on the village green, an inclined strong rope, uh, down which, clinging the while to a pulley-swung handle, one could be hurled violently against a sack at the other end, came in for considerable favor among the adolescents, as also did the swings and the coconut shies. There was also promenading, and the steam organ attached to a small roundabout filled the air with a pungent flavor of oil and with equally pungent music. Members of the club, who had attended church in the morning, were splendid in badges of pink and green, and some of the gayer-minded had also adorned their bowler hats with brilliant colored flavors of ribbon. Old Fletcher, whose conceptions of holiday-making were severe, was visible through the jasmine about his window or through the open door, whichever way you choose to look, poised delicately on a plank supported on two chairs and whitewashing the ceiling of his front room. About four o'clock, a stranger entered the village from the direction of the Downs. He was a short, stout person in an extraordinarily shabby top hat, and he appeared to be very much out of breath. His cheeks were alternately limp and tightly puffed. His mottled face was apprehensive, and he moved with a sort of reluctant alacrity. He turned the corner of the church and directed his way to the coach and horses. 
Among the others, old Fletcher remembers seeing him, and indeed the old gentleman was so struck by his peculiar agitation that he inadvertently allowed a quantity of whitewash to run down the brush into the sleeve of his coat while regarding him. This stranger, to the perceptions of the proprietor of the coconut shy, appeared to be talking to himself, and Mr. Huckster remarked the same thing. He stopped at the foot of the coach and horse's steps, and according to Mr. Huckster, appeared to undergo a severe internal struggle before he could induce himself to enter the house. Finally, he marched up the steps and was seen by Mr. Huckster to turn to the left and open the door of the parlor. Mr. Huckster heard voices from within the room and from the bar apprising the man of his error. That room's private, said Hall, and the stranger shut the door clumsily and went into the bar. In the course of a few minutes, he reappeared, wiping his lips with the back of his hand with an air of quiet satisfaction that somehow impressed Mr. Huckster as assumed. He stood looking about him for some moments, and then Mr. Huckster saw him walk in an oddly furtive manner towards the gates of the yard, upon which the parlor window opened. The stranger, after some hesitation, leant against one of the gate posts, produced a short, a short clay pipe, and prepared to fill it. His fingers trembled while doing so. He lit it clumsily, and folding his arms began to smoke in a languid attitude, an attitude which his occasional glances up the yard altogether belied. All this Mr. Huckster saw over the canisters of the tobacco window, and the singularity of the man's behavior prompted him to maintain his observation. Presently, the stranger stood up abruptly and put his pipe in his pocket. Then he vanished into the yard. Forthwith, Mr. Huckster, conceiving he was witness of some petty larceny, leapt round his counter and ran out into the road to intercept the thief. As he did so, Mr. Marvel reappeared, his hat askew, a big bundle in a blue tablecloth in one hand and three books tied together, as it proved afterwards with the vicar's braces in the other. Directly he saw Huckster, he gave a, short of, a sort of gasp, and turning sharply to the left began to run. Stop! Thief! cried Huckster, and set off after him. Mr. Huckster's sensations were vivid, but brief. He saw the man just before him, and, spurting briskly for the church corner and the hill road, he saw the village flags and festivities beyond, and a face or so turned towards him. He bawled, Stop! again. He had hardly gone ten strides before his shin was caught in some mysterious fashion, and he was no longer running, but flying with inconceivable rapidity through the air. He saw the ground suddenly close to his face. The world seemed to splash into a million whirling specks of light, and subsequent proceedings interested him no more.